So I think you've heard a little bit of the theme that's going on today. So we're going to be talking about fear and anxiety. And I've been tasked to ask the question or answer the question, uh, how does faith, or excuse me, fear and anxiety get in the way of us living in in a relationship with God on a daily basis? How does fear and anxiety get in the way of us being transformed by the glorious love of the Trinity? And it was just continuing the series that we've been looking at. So this month we're going to be looking at how things and obstacles get in the way of us being transformed by God's love and experiencing His love on a daily basis. And last week we saw shame and guilt can often cloud us from engaging and having a relationship with God. And we saw how God has dealt with that with Jesus on the cross. And this week, surprise, surprise, we're going to see that fear and anxiety is also met and dealt with with Jesus on the cross. And we can live in light of that and live confidently in the promises or the promiser and trust that he'll never leave us, never forsake us, that he will never uh, leave us in shame or that he'll fail us, but actually he'll transform us into people who are robust people of God. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to be today. Um, so today's, in some ways, it's, it's, it's going to be a little different as well. Um, for a couple reasons. First reason is uh, this is a subject that uh, isn't like I figured this out and, uh, and I'm just going to teach you that you know how to deal with fear and anxiety. But rather, uh, this is something that I, um, I've been preaching to myself in my heart on a daily basis for the few months and something that I've been preaching at my wife quite a bit for the last few months. So this is just, it's actually me just kind of like sharing what God has been doing in, in my life, and, and a text, we're looking at a text, a scripture in Romans 5, 1 through 5, that has been something that I've been thinking about and meditating on for a lot of that time, and it's, I'm not going to exhaust all the truth that's in it, there's no way I can do that, or, uh, but really just kind of sharing the truth that's been impactful in my life and my heart uh, from it. Two, is that this is in a sense, this last time that I get to come up here and preach as a member of this community, in the sense of I live in, living in Chippenham. This is the last time for the foreseeable future uh, of being a community member here. So, uh, it's, so it's going to be different. Um, and, and in a sense, that kind of transitions right into the story of fear and faith and uh, our story. So, uh, October 9th, we found out that um, my mission organization lost its ability to sponsor my visas, uh, my work visa here, and that we would have to be leaving at the end of the month, this month. So uh, right now, uh, and well, in October, we didn't know when we were going to go. We didn't know where we were going to go. We didn't know what we were going to do. We didn't know if we were going to be back here somehow. We didn't know if, you know, like right now, we could be back here sometime. We could be in Ireland, we could be in D.C., we could be in Portland, Oregon. We, who knows where we're going to be. Uh, we don't know how we're going to pay for our food, or in the sense of, like, pay for bills, or where we're going to live, or any of those kinds of things. Everything's up in the air, especially about after April time. So, you can imagine, there's great temptation to be fearful. Great temptation to allow anxiety, and every time someone asks you, hey, what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Where are you going to put your stuff? What's the, what stuff are you going to bring? Uh, that, 
We're like, well, we've been thinking about that, and we don't know. <laughs> so, needs to say, it's it's a it's a a lesson that we're we're learning. But it's amazing; it's not the first time we've had to learn this lesson. Um, <laughs> this will be the fourth move that we've made across the Atlantic in six years, and every time we've moved across the Atlantic, we've had a child in our arms, a new one, and and so no, so true to form. Uh, we're going to be going back to the United States for the fourth time with our fourth child. Um, and so I'll just say, where did this begin? Like fear and faith, the, 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 the lesson, the idea that, that we are motivated in every moment of every day either to faithfully trust God to shape our life, to, to be there for us and to be with us and to know that he loves us or to actually try to take control of our lives even though we deep down don't really know, we know that we can't. Uh, was a lesson that we learned about six years ago to the month. So six years ago in January, we found out that we, or Aaron was pregnant with Everett. And we had been in Scotland for a couple months, and I was doing postgraduate studies. And we thought we might have a chance to stay there longer, a few more years to do PhD studies and stuff, but it was kinda, we didn't really know. Well, by May time, we knew for sure that we were not going to be able to stay. We were going to run out of money to pay rent, to pay for food, to pay for um, bus tickets to get, uh, to get around the town in Edinburgh. We, we knew we were going to be out of money to be able to get back home or even start up a life. We were going to be out of money. So we thought, well, let's, let's move in May. Dave can finish his studies, and then we'll have about three months to live off some money and save up and maybe find a job and you know, kind of help God out. Um, and, that, and when we were thinking about that, our pastor came over to our house and visited, and he said, hey, what's going on? What are you guys thinking? And, and uh, he, he kind of heard what we were, our plans were, and he said, hmm, uh, now, did, how did you get to Scotland? Was that, uh, can you remind me of that story? I'm like, you know this story. Uh, did, you, he goes, did you get here by faith or fear? I'm like, well, well, it was kind of a miraculous thing. You know that. You know, the fact is that one day we were praying, if God wants us to get to Scotland, he'll find $15,000 for us to go. Two days later, our car burnt up for no apparent reason. We got a check. It was in the bank. We were qualified for visas to come to Scotland. Uh, it, was, it was a miraculous thing. I could tell you all the details later some other time, but it was absolutely miraculous. He said, oh, okay, so you got here by faith. So why are you going to leave by fear? Oh, oh hmm. So you... If you go leave in May, you might have money and everything else, but you're doing it by fear, and inevitably you will regret the decision you made. But if you stay, and you may run out of money, and who knows what could happen, but if you stay and trust God, um, who knows what will happen, but you'll never regret it. And so, you know, why don't you pray about it and think about it, and then you know, we'll talk some more. All right, okay, so David got up and walked out of that room, and Aaron and I looked at each other, and said, we're staying, right? Yep. <laughs> like, there's no way we're going to, to uh, do something out of fear. There's no way. We, we thought, oh, we're just helping God out. We're being prudent with our money and everything else. And because he said, you know, we'll be here for you. We have a church that'll take care of you. You know, trust, God's with you. And to make a real long story short, we, um, all the fears that we had were answered. We got a job. The church paid us uh, through October when we were going to run out of money in August, and we had to stay there until October because Ellie, or excuse me, Everett had to stay there until he could get on a plane and fly home. So 
our, a church who had never had a day of my effort or work was paying us uh, income, paying for us to fly home, got us a house and a car. And we're like, all our fears were answered. We had, it was a miraculous thing. So it was the first time we saw every, not just the momentous decisions in life, but every moment of every day, we could either live by faith or live by fear. So, and I, and I'll be so bold as to say, I think that most of you could probably relate to this story. Uh, you know, the fear of rejection. Am I good enough for people to like me? Uh, a fear of uh, being a failure, so maybe I won't try anything, or maybe I will uh, work real hard and, you know, prove to everybody that I'm not a failure. Or maybe the fear of, you know, what am I going to do for a job? What am I going to do to pay the bills? How am I going to get a house? Whatever, whatever it is, there's so many things that we could talk about, how we try to cover and protect ourselves from that fear. I often, you know, talk about like kind of fig leafing, because Adam and Eve, they, they protect themselves from the fear and knowing that they are not in control, even though deep down they want to be. And so they protect themselves from that, and therefore keep, there's a barrier between them, the, Adam and Eve, and other people, like we do this, we keep, our, we keep people at arm's distance, and we keep God at arm's distance. So there's a question that I think I want to have you think about while we go through the rest of the message. And that is, what gets in the way in your life of hearing God's voice that says, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you? Maybe you've never known Jesus, everything else. What are some things in your life that keep you from hearing his voice? The static, the noise. How do you cope with your problems that uh, in coping mechanisms that really drown out God's voice, like entertainment and sports, or are there any other distractions I can, you can think of? What are those things? Because the reality is, every single one of us are creatures of fear. Since the fall, since Adam and Eve decided to reject and, and question God's word, since they decided, you know what, God actually is holding out, he's not all that good. We want to be God, we want to determine what good and evil is that we have been creatures of fear. Because as soon as Adam and Eve saw themselves, they went, whoa, wait a minute. Um, We may want to be God, we may think we're God, but deep down we kind of know we're not. And we know that we can't control our situations even though we really want to and think we should. There's this, we're crippled with this or shackled with this idea that we are in control, but we deep down know that we can't control and shape the things in our lives. We can't control and shape, for instance, if you're a parent, you can try really hard. You could be absolutely motivated by fear on how your kids are going to turn out. And maybe you'd be a great parent and be present, but the reality is, is when they're 25, are you going to be able to control what they do and how they respond to life? No. You, you have no idea. You have no control over how the economy is going to go. We, the, like uh, Peter was talking about, that, the man that was shot, did he have any control over some evil people coming in Taking a gun and shooting it. Did, did, did his wife have control over that situation? But no, she's living in the ramifications of that. See, we, we, we're fearful because we think we have control, but deep down, we know we don't. Now, this isn't just for people who aren't in the Bible. Every single hero in the Bible, I think, is a creature of fear as well. And let me just pick one hero, Abraham. And he's often known as the father of faith. He's the great patriarch that all the major religions claim. Okay? And let's just, let's just talk about Abraham. So he comes on the scene in the Bible in Genesis eleven twelve. 12, okay? And in 12, 
It says, God tells Abram, hey, I want you to go to a land that I'm going to show you. Leave all your family. Go to this land, and I'm going to make you a father of a great nation. You're going to, your name is going to be great, and all those that bless you will be blessed, and all those that curse you will be cursed. Go. And he kind of went. He brought his entire family. Mind you, God said, don't take anybody. He takes everyone. They go about halfway and stop, and they're there for at least decades. Okay? Dad dies. Then he goes, okay, well, maybe I'll go. And he keeps on going, and he take, but this time he still takes his uh, nephew, Lot. And they walk right through the land, discover a famine, and then keep on going. So they go to Egypt, and then he, Abraham goes, oh, yeah, uh, this is dangerous. My wife is kind of attractive. So, hey, wife, you are my half-sister, right? So tell everybody you're my sister, and I will protect the promise of God. Okay? You, I'm going to give you away. And that means I'm going to preserve because I'm supposed to be the father of a great nation and my name is going to be great. There you go, Sarah. See you later. And what does God do? Oh, wait a minute. He convinces otherwise, undermines this decision and gets Sarah back without her being touched and miraculously Abraham has riches. He's blessed by this whole thing. Okay? A couple chapters later, Abraham kind of saves Lot from a battle and instead of giving anybody else credit for it, Abraham says, no, I'm only going to give Yahweh credit and I'm only going to give money to, you know, 10% to him. That's, the, that's it. And God comes to him and says, hey, I'm going to give you a great reward, Abraham. Uh, and Abraham goes, well, what's the big deal about eight, you know, all this riches and cows and everything else? Uh, all I'm going to give it to is my servant. I don't have a son. Where's this promise, God? And God kind of puts his arm around his shoulders, takes him out of the uh, tent and says, hey, look at the stars. You're going to be a father of a nation that is as big and as many and numerous as the stars and the sand on the sea. And Abraham, as Paul would describe it, hope against hope, knowing that his body was, was wasting away, believed God's word and has counted to him as righteousness. So this, I think, means that he has peace with God. He is in right relationship with God. There's nothing about him where God, he's questioning whether or not God uh, is telling the truth. He believes him and is counted to him as righteousness. And you think, all right, Adam, or Abraham's arrived. Woo-hoo. This is the father of faith. This is where it all begins, right? No. Okay? Because after a while, uh, he realizes that uh, Sarah is not having a child. So... He needs to help out God again. Then he goes to Hagar. So looking for the promise of God, he goes to Hagar, Sarah's uh, um, maid, and has a child. And he thinks, this is, Ishmael has got to be the promised seed. He's the promised one. This is it. Look at, I helped God out. The promise is here. I'm gonna, he's going to be a great nation. Woohoo! And he goes, uh, no, 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 no. He comes back to him and says, well, wait a minute. Actually... Uh, this is 13 years later. Ishmael is 13. He comes to, uh, God comes to Abraham and says, you know, actually in one year, your true son is going to be coming from Sarah. And yes, she's 90. And yes, you're close to 100. But that's going to happen in one year. The next thing we know, he's giving Sarah away again. Because he's going and Abimelech is there. And he's afraid that he's going to die. Let me protect God again. And protect the promise and he gives Sarah away after the specific promise that you are going 
to have a child by Sarah in one year. Thankfully, God, you know, kind of saves Abraham's decision again, and everything's right. But before I go any further, the father of faith seems to waver in his faith quite a bit, doesn't he? He doesn't seem to really get it. But um, we'll come back to it. The story ends in Genesis 22, and we'll look at that in a little bit. But this brings us right to the passage that we're going to be looking at today. So Romans 5, 1 through 5, it's actually, it's on page 942 of your church Bibles, if you want to flip there. 5, 1 through 5 for Paul, I think, is kind of a, a condensed, distilled summary of Abraham's story, but directly connected to us. Because Abraham believed in a promise. Abraham's promise was that God was going to make him a father of a great nation, that he was going to have a land, and that was going to be kept in a promise in one his, in a son. And he believed that promise, and therefore he was in right relationship with God. Our promise is slightly different. We believe in the promise of Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham. And we believe in him because he has died for us, and he died for us while we were still sinners and his enemies, and conquered death and rose again. This is the great promise that he's defeated death and sin and he's conquered and promised that he's going to make everything in the world right even though we see and sense that that isn't necessarily the case. But that's the promise. And so Paul is going to connect uh, Abraham's faith and, pr- and faith in the promise of God and the word of God to our faith in the word of God that we see in Jesus Christ. So he says in verse 1 that we are in essentially friends because we've trusted in the promise in Christ. So he says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And let me just stop right there. So we have peace with God. We have peace with the Father, the, the creator of the universe, the most powerful one, the one that we've been in ad- at enemies with for a long time. And we have peace with him. Because of what Christ has done. We have, in a sense, we, we trust in the promise. I mean, have, have, has anybody seen Jesus in real life? You know, resurrected? Anybody? Okay. But we believe in something that's happened in the past from witnesses. And for what God has communicated into our heart. Right? It's kind of like the promise that Abraham had. He'd never seen his son. He, hasn't, he didn't get to actually see the great nation that his family would become. But he believed God. And so we believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And so now we have peace with God and we have right relationship with him. And then let's look at just beginning of verse 2. He says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So by faith we have access to Christ and the Father um, and this grace by our faith. And this grace, I think, is directly connected to Romans 5, 5, which is the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts. The love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And now we stand. But see, I hope you're starting to feel the, uh, in the sense that this is all kind of present to past. It's mostly past, actually. We believe in something that happened historically. We believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again while we are still sinners for us. And that we have life in him. And so we, we, we have a great promise in him. And, but yet, 
We're going to anticipate there's a future, there's living in life now. What, is it, what does it mean for us to live in, in the hope that Jesus has defeated death? What does it mean to live in this life when, when there's terrorism and, and things are uh, falling apart all around us? The economy, the, 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 I guess the problem of maybe losing a job or being uprooted and having to move a half across the world. What does that actually mean for us? Does, is it really true that Jesus can keep his promises? And that's exactly the point if you think about Abraham. So if you want to look at me, look with me to 420. It's just the, the small little 20, um, just above uh, chapter 5. Paul's describing Abraham. And he says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, what do you think about that? After I just got done telling the story of Abraham. Like, uh, Paul, are you being a little too nice here? Like, you know... He seemed to be wavering quite a bit. That's the whole story of Abraham. How is it that he didn't waver in his faith? Well, I was really, really careful when I told that story. He never, ever wavered in the promise that he would have a son. He just wavered as to whether or not God could actually do it. He had to help God out. He was afraid and anxious. He was afraid that uh, he was going to be killed twice because of Sarah. So he gave her away. I'm helping you out, God. You know, I'm going to preserve myself, preserve my loins. Everything's going to work out, you know. And, and so that's it. Or the anxiety that, look, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing's happening. So I'll look to, to help God out and, and go to Hagar and make it work, Right? So there's fear and anxiety, but he never wavered in the promise. He just wavered as to whether or not God could actually keep that promise. And I think for us Christians, that has got to be awfully the the case a lot of the time. We often waver, I think. We believe that Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. He loves us and everything else. But on a daily basis, I think oftentimes we function as atheists. We, we live on our own. We live independently of him. We, we try to fix things by our own, with, out of fear and anxiety. We don't think God can actually take care of it, so we do it ourselves. We try to, whatever it might be through, uh, you know, work or um, who knows what, entertainment, anything. We try anything we can to mask and to take care of. Well, I mean, like for Aaron and I, we'll, we'll leave in May. We're going to leave early. Because we're going to help God out here with providing for our family, right? But thankfully, uh, Paul doesn't end right there. There's a, definitely not a full stop. There's a comma in verse 20. But he says, but he grew in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, to just stop there, Glo- gave glory to God. I think glory to God here in this context is, really goes right back to the first time that Moses asks God, hey, show me your glory. And God says, I'll show you my goodness. And what is the first thing that God says about himself? He says, I am a God that's merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I keep my word and I have the capacity to do it. And this is exactly the point. Abraham is, he wavered as to whether or not, he never wavered in the promise, but he he grew in his faith So that when he's fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, he was able to fully and completely trust God. And I think that's the the very thing that Paul is going to say here in Romans 5, 2, and the the last part of it. So he says, through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace 
in which we stand today and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We who believe in Jesus and love Christ because he's first loved us, we stand with the hope and the certainty that God's character is one that is steadfast in love and he's faithful. He's never going to fail us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. He says this all the time throughout scripture. Don't be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I've gone before you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from my love. You're my treasured possession. You're the apple of my eye. You're my children. You're my bride. I'll never leave you. This is the hope of the glory that we have. But I think, like Abraham, we tend to waver in whether or not God can actually keep that promise on a daily basis. And that's the point. So in verse 3 through 5, he says that very thing. He says, not only that, not only do we rejoice in the hope of the glory, not only do we rejoice in who God is and that he's a great promiser and he's the one that can keep his promises, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Now, let me just stop right there for a second. I think as soon as we read that, you might start tuning out. So I'm just going to stop. Because I think typically when you read rejoice in our sufferings, there's a few options that um, seem to probably come through their mind, your mind. One is... Um, that's just impractical. So we'll just ignore that. Or, uh, does that mean God wants me to be a puppet? I feel anxiety. I feel fear. I'm worried. I'm grieving. I've lost someone. Broken relationships. There's all kinds of things. I'm suffering. Am I just supposed to be in denial and just kind of have God go, be happy, be happy, be happy, like we're some kind of puppet? No. I don't think that's what God wants us to be like. And he definitely doesn't want to be, I'm sorry, I'm American, so I'm going to take a little jab at the Brits. But he doesn't also want to ha- us to have a stiff upper lip and just kind of deny the feelings and just be cool and calm and non-emotive and just say, yes, I will rejoice in my suffering. That's not what's going on. It's, it's, it's this, that not only that, not only can we not rejoice in the hope of God's character, but we can rejoice in our sufferings Knowing this, we know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put, uh, it does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And it's not just one moment. It's every day, continuously. It's not, not even when we weren't Christians, God is pouring his love into our hearts saying, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. Look what I did for you. I sent my son. He came to earth. He died on the cross for you. Trust me. And so now even though us that love Christ and know that he's died for us, the same thing's being said every moment, every day. I love you. I'm for you. I will never leave you. I will not fail you. I will not put you to shame. Trust me. So this is exactly what I think Abraham finally comes to realize. So in Genesis 22, some 15-ish years later, after he's received his promised son Isaac, uh, there's a question that I think, if you're reading this, you kind of start to think, well, Abraham really hasn't trusted God at all. Why does he have Isaac? Does he, and, he, and it says really there, he loves his son. He loves him dearly. And the question is, well, does, 
does he love his promise more than he really loves and trusts God? And so God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take your son and sacrifice him. Now, this isn't cosmic child abuse or anything else. This is something quite amazing. Because every other time Abraham has been asked to do something by God, there's a delay. He kind of slows down. This time it's immediate. The next morning, he goes. And you think, what in the world, Abraham? What, what, what is different here? Well, he's had 15 years to think about and love that God has kept his promise. And he can go back and look and think about all the ways he screwed up and tried to help God, and God kind of undermined his fear and his anxiety to protect him and the promise because it was entirely of God's work. It wasn't anything that Abraham brought. It was everything that God did for him. And so he went. And he trusted that this Isaac was his, the promised child. It was the one, the son that came from Sarah. God said so. So either I sacrifice him and then God raises him from the dead or he stops me. So he goes. And believe it or not, Isaac goes along with him. And gets on this, the altar and everything else. And here, Abraham pulls up the sword or his, the dagger to go kill a son to trust God. And God says, whoa, wait, stop. You're done. Now you know, now I know, we all know that you trust the promiser more than having the promise. And that's, I think, where we're at. When we get to the point where uh, there's things that get in the way, we don't hear the voice of God saying, I got this. I'm for you. I'm with you. I love you. I can take care of everything. I can wipe away every concern that you have. Just trust me. Just trust me. And so, I don't know, again, I don't know what it is for you personally that that, that gets in the way of you hearing that voice of God. Um, But... There, I guess the question then comes, well, then how, how is, it? is it? It's clearly not our own. We can't make ourselves trust God. We can't make ourselves not feel fear and anxiety. I would say, just tell him. Tell God that you need help. I need you to help me, God. I, I want to have you as my greatest love in my life so that when things start to crush around, I can say, I'm going to rejoice in you because I have you and I trust that even though all this is happening around me, that you've said you'll take care of it. You've promised that, and you've demonstrated it in Jesus. Um, This came real, like really real to me on that October 9th day, because the question then is, well, how do we conquer fear and anxiety? And, And is it something we can do? And I don't think that's the case. But it's, it's exposing your heart so much to God that you can hear his voice over all the static. And one of the ways is by giving thanks. And I said this a couple months ago. But the real first time that I, I think in the moment where uh, worry and anxiety was coming, I actually gave thanks. And we heard the October night that we were going to have our visas taken away. And like every night I was praying over one of our kids. I just had Elliot that night. And I was just praying to God. I just started crying. And, I, and it, was, it was, thank you, God. Thank you that I have you. Thank you that you're mine. Thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you have everything that I need in you. 
It doesn't really matter where I go. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what you take away or what happens. I know that you're with me, that you're for me, and that you'll never leave me. And you, you're, you're going to do something in this because I trust that you can take every circumstance and every situation and make it good. You can make it good. And as you comfort me in this situation, I know that I get a chance to comfort somebody else. So I thank you, thank you, thank you. So, and, and then also another thought came to mind often during the last couple months. And I said this a couple months ago as well. Um, which is that death is a one-to-one ratio. And we've had to say goodbye to people that we love. And, and death is a difficult thing. But as we've even saying, Christ came to take the sting of death. He's conquered death. But yet we still experience it on a daily basis. And I, I don't know about you, but even when I've had close family members pass away, I don't necessarily have ever really thought about my death. Because, you know, even though life is hard and difficult and everything else, I kind of like being around. You know, I kind of like life. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's exciting. Friends are great. You know, family's fun. And I don't necessarily want to cease to exist. I don't want to cease. I want to live. But I can't keep my life. I have no control over that. It's one-to-one ratio. Well, except for Enoch, but that's just a special case. And Elijah. Um, so two out of billions and billions and billions and billions. Okay, so it's, it's pretty close to one-to-one ratio. I know some of you biblical people are going, wait a minute, wait a minute, there's two people. It's not one-to-one exactly. Um, okay, so Jesus died, all right, and he rose again from the dead, so I'm going to go with that one. All right, so one-to-one ratio, we're all going to die, okay? And, and if I am so blessed to know that death is coming, I, I, I want to be someone who's not trying to hold on to something I can't have out of fear and anxiety. I want to be able to say to Jesus, I know you love me. I know you're with me. I know you're not going to put me to shame right now and never fail me. And when I cease to be here, I trust that I'm going to be with you. Face to face, tears of joy, getting to hug you and say, I knew it. I can trust you. So I say let's just trust him on a daily basis because if we can trust him and trust that he's a promiser today, we can trust him for anything and we can become robust people for him. Let me pray. Ah, Father God, thank you that you are a, the, the God of the universe. You've, you spoke and you created. And it's just, it's, it's, it's just insane. It's hard to even think and grasp the idea that the God of the universe, the all-powerful, mighty one, is more concerned, not about exuding your power, but sharing your love. That uh, you love us. That each and every one of us in this room are the apple of your eye. Your treasured possession. No matter what has happened in our past, no matter what's going to happen in the future, no matter what we might do or might say or fail you, You'll never fail us. You'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, Lord, I just pray that, that your, your voice would always be something that we hear. You, that your voice, the, the, the Spirit communicates to us. The Spirit that knows the very depths of your heart will be communicated to our hearts. That is, that I love you. 
I love you, and I love you. And may our response always be, thank you, thank you, thank you. Because your love casts out all fear, and so that we don't have to fear anything, even death. Uh, Be with us, we, we, we pray. Amen.